This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by Off Girl, an award-winning comic book series from writer Tina Fine and artist Mark Ryhill. Off Girl is a highly unconventional superhero story about a woman named Julia Davenport whose every orgasm unleashes a murderous demon. Comicbooks.com writes, The beautiful art and smartly handled taboo subject matter make for what will most assuredly be a cult classic. Learn more over at offgirl.com. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 401 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing cults and horror. And this will involve spoilers for the movie Midsummer, and it may also include spoilers for other movies that we discuss. So just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Grady Hendrix, making his 18th appearance on the show. He's the author of nonfiction books such as Paperbacks from Hell, and novels such as My Best Friend's Exorcism, and the upcoming The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. He also wrote the screenplay for the recent movie Satanic Panic. So, Grady, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? The next up, we've got Teresa Zalucci, making her 10th appearance on the show. Her articles have appeared on Boing Boing and Den of Geek, and her short fiction has appeared in Strange Horizons and Tor.com. She's also the editor of Come Join Us by the Fire, a free audio anthology from Nightfire Books, the new horror imprint of Tor Books. So, Teresa, welcome to the show. School! <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us today is Paul Tremblay, making his fifth appearance on the show. He's the author of novels such as The Cabin at the End of the World and A Head Full of Ghosts, as well as the upcoming novel Survivor Song. Stephen King calls his recent book, Growing Things and Other Stories, one of the best collections of the 21st century. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. And I assume everyone's already drank from their cup of Kool-Aid. Yes? Sorry, oh, yeah. Mush- mushroom, mushroom tea. <laughs> mushroom tea. And today's show is brought to you by the new comic book series, Off Girl, written by Tina Fine and illustrated by Mark Ryhill. As the story opens, our hero Julia Davenport has avoided having an orgasm for 10 years, because every time she does, it unleashes a terrifying demon that murders anyone nearby. But when she accidentally climaxes on the subway, killing several innocent bystanders, she discovers that one man is immune to her power, genius scientist Ben Sapolsky, who may be the key to helping her find a cure. But first, Julia must harness her power to stop Stiletto, a serial killer who kidnaps women and forces them to run on treadmills wearing high heels until they die. The plot only gets crazier from there, as Julia finds herself at the center of a power struggle involving the U.S. president, cryptocurrency, biblical history, and alien refugees. It's a lot to manage, but with great pleasure comes great responsibility. Off-girl writer Tina Fine holds a Ph.D. in economics from Columbia, and before turning to writing, she ran the internet startup HomeInCloud.com, which was based on her dissertation. Her short films have appeared at the New York City Independent Film Festival 2015, the Boston International Kids Film Festival 2015, and the Toronto International Kids Film Festival 2016, and she also plans to adapt Off-Girl as a film or TV series. Off-Girl illustrator Mark Ryhill has produced over 70 covers for Starburst magazine and was one of 50 artists handpicked by CBS for an art exhibition celebrating Star Trek's 50th anniversary. He was also named Best Newcomer slash Breakthrough Artist at the ICN Awards in 2017. So again, the series is called Off-Girl by Tina Fine and Mark Ryhill, and you can learn more over at offgirl.com. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Well, yeah, so, so how this panel came about is that I finally got around to watching the movie Midsummer, 
which is the uh, sort of follow-up from director Ari Aster, who made Hereditary, which we discussed back in episode 317. And it's about a group of Americans who travel to Sweden and witness a harvest festival. And uh, turns out not so great for them. And uh, I, I believe that Teresa is a big fan of this movie, right? So uh, why don't we start out and have you just tell us uh, why do you like this movie so much? Well, it's beautiful, but absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it doesn't quite hold up as well on a second viewing, but the initial rush of watching it the first time, full disclosure, I was not sober the first time I went into the theater. <laughs> um, I was decidedly and very unwisely not sober. So the first 15 minutes were some of the most distressing things I've felt in a movie theater since seeing Hereditary. So I kind of had Danny's sympathy, uh, the main protagonist. Uh, you know, it starts off with this horrible, tragic event with her family and her equally terrible boyfriend. Okay, maybe he's not as bad as a murder-suicide, but he's pretty <laughs> bad. And then it turns into this candy-colored pastoral acid trip that's really laughable, but has some interesting ideas going on. And I think I just responded to it more emotionally than, like I said, logically. Yeah, so so this group of American students, they, they go to Sweden to, as I said, witness this harvest festival. And the first thing that happens is that they uh, are given this this mushroom tea or something that contain, you know, it's made from hallucinogenic mushrooms. And so, uh, so yeah, the main character, Danny has kind of a, a hallucinogenic trip where she sees grass growing out of her feet and stuff like that. So, uh, so that's what Teresa's talking about when she, uh, experienced this under the influence. Not of mushroom tea. I, I'm <laughs> a lightweight, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it made me never want to do hallucinogens because it felt like that's what I imagine that would be like. And it looks fucking horrible. Yeah. So I, I really, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, it sounds like maybe we had a similar experience because I, I, I love this movie. I, I, I thought just the experience of it was just, I don't know. There was just something that really like hit me. Um, I have lots of problems with the specifics and ordinarily all the problems I had with the specifics. If, you know, if I had this many problems with the specifics of most any other movie, it would kind of, dampen my enthusiasm for the movie but for whatever reason uh for this one it just um i didn't care so much but i really think that the first act of the movie is fantastic and i think that the third act of the movie is fantastic and the second act uh i i really have a lot of plausibility issues and i think most of my problems are there um but but overall i liked it a lot um and so uh so paul you told me that you were not so much of a fan of this movie right so do you like agree with my overall analysis there? Or did you have a much different response to it? <laughs> I, I had a much different response, a very a much different response. To it. I mean, I, I will say I had a very strong reaction to it. So, uh, I mean, I guess points for that. <laughs> um, I'm like laughing. A, it was like a I'm, bad trip for you. So, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I loved, I really liked Hereditary, which we discussed. And so I think maybe part of my issues yeah, I've been, I've been trying to dissect my feelings about this movie, you know, for a while because I appear to be in the minority in my opinion of it, you know, certainly amongst horror fans, you know, who tend to like every horror movie they see. But I mean, that, maybe that's a, <laughs> maybe that's a cheap shot. Um, now I, I really did not like the movie. Uh, I, I thought it, 
you know, it failed for me on, on many different levels. And, and I will, I will admit up front, and I don't say this to try to garner sympathy because everyone has suffered, you know, personal or family tragedies, but sort of, you know, one of the key plot points of the movie that, or that introduces the movie is, um, uh, you know, Danny loses both, you know, her sister and both of her parents. Um, and I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say I was the boyfriend. I mean, obviously I'm not that character, but, you know, my wife, Lisa, lost her parents within two months of each other. Um, unexpectedly, um, you know, they were like 65 and 70, but, you know, we're not expecting their deaths. And to me, you know, that sort of weighty grief, and you know, uh, that's something I brought with me to the movie. So that, you know, a lot of my reaction to it was, no, this is not how people would react to this. Um, I mean, so, so that aside, like my, part of my issue is I was really into the first hour, to be honest with you, uh, until the older couple committed suicide you know, ritual suicide. And, and from there, like with each passing minute, uh, rage was growing in me. <laughs> um, and a big part of it became, you know, here are these grad students, you know, supposed grad students, uh, you know, I, I assume are intelligent people are going to study, you know, this, um, you know, pagan culture. And it's like, they had never, like, had they ever seen a movie about pagan cultures or, or, you know, studied pagan cultures, like they never once thought they were in trouble. Like there was that ridiculous, like 10 minute conversation between the British, uh, you know, when the British man disappeared and, you know, his girlfriend was like, he wouldn't have left without me. And he was like, oh no, you know, he did. And it went on for 10 minutes. And I don't know. I mean, that's just like one like part of it. Um, yeah. for me, I, I felt like he, he couldn't decide if it was a movie about grief or a breakup movie. And I, I ultimately found both of those to be immature handle handlings of both of those emotions. I mean, that's my, you know, fairly subjective opinion. Um, this feels like a 20 year old wrote a broke, a breakup movie, honestly, like, um, so anyway, I mean, that's, that's like away from the cult part of things, but yeah, well, let me, let me jump in there. Cause I I mean, I I do want to just say like, I, I I agree with Teresa. I thought beautiful movie. And is it Pugue? Is that how you say your last name? Pugue? Pugue? Pugue. Yes. Uh, I thought her performance is excellent. So, I mean, those two things I'm totally on board with, but you know, I thought the third act just evolved into a silly slasher with the discovery of the bodies. And anyway, sorry, I, yeah. I don't want to like totally shit on the movie, but like I, I definitely had a strong negative reaction to it. Well, I mean, when I talk about how it sort of lost me in act two, I'm talking about exactly the thing you're saying with the, the suicide yeah. of, of some members of the cult that are, are witnessed by the American couple or the, the American, you know, group and, right. and, and their, and their reaction to that, like you say, uh, just, totally felt unreal to me um i think we should explain if someone hasn't seen that that um the boyfriend christian uh when he finds out that his girlfriend's um uh, parents or you know family is all has all died in this murder suicide he was planning to break up with her and now sort of feels like obligated not to right. and obligated to take her along on this trip um and so uh, so maybe we can come back to that but so let's get uh, grady in here so grady what did you think of midsummer well, okay. So, I mean, my, so full disclosure, I read the <laughs> script. I didn't see the movie. Um, but I, um, you know, to me, it was kind of like, I'm a little more with Paul. It was kind of like Ikea Wicker Man. Like, if you can't <laughs> do better than the Wicker Man and you're just going to remake the Wicker Man, why get out of bed? Like, it's been made. Um, and I really didn't buy the equation of, Grief plus acid divided by insensitive guys equals burning my boyfriend alive in a bear suit. Like, that just doesn't scan for me. Um, I mean, I assume that's what happens in the movie, too. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's more or less. Like, sure. 
Yeah. So like, I just, it just, I just didn't buy it. And, you know, it, this, and, and for what it's worth, the script's great. It's really well written. There's lots of like backstory on the, the religious cult and all that stuff. That's really fascinating, but it's just, it, it just, I don't know. I just didn't, I was just like, people don't act like this. Yeah. So well, yeah, I'll just say like, I think for part of me, sorry, I'll just say this, like to get it out, like, and, you know, as a horror fan, like, you know, I obviously have my likes and dislikes and I've never been one for like the comeuppance movie. And I know that's a huge favorite for a lot of horror fans, especially like within the slasher genre. And, you know, it, clearly it, it's sort of like a comeuppance kind of ending. And it's just, I don't know. So for me, I, I don't know. I'm just not into the, the comeuppance thing. Cause as you said, like if you, for a movie that's not supernatural, if you try to lay it out, like, all right, if this is actually real life, you know, does asshole boyfriend you know, and this was to me the smallest problem of the movie, like asshole boyfriend getting burned. Like, but you know, I just didn't, I didn't feel anything mainly because of the grief aspect. I didn't feel like it, it tied all the way through. Um, you know, and with Grady mentioning Wicker Man, um, you know, I felt like, you know, having seen the original Wicker Man, there was no narrative tension for me because I knew what was going to happen. I mean, yeah. almost exactly. I knew what was going to happen, which is fine. But like to me, what makes the Wicker Man still hold up? Like just to compare very briefly. In The Wicker Man, you have a true outsider, you know, showing up to this, you know, British island. And I mean, he's really a, represent, a representation of, I don't know, like our, like, quote unquote, modern society or, or bourgeois society, middle class. You know, he's, you know, this Catholic man, total outsider, doesn't, has no idea what he's in for. Um, and to me, that ending of that movie is just really powerful, that juxtaposition of <laughs> sort of uh, the juxtaposition of the ecstasy of this, you know, cult and like, you know, and he's trying to profess his own faith and it's just this nice little, um, you know, ram, two rams butting heads there at the end. Where in Midsummer, Midsummer, you have these interlopers, but they're supposed to be experts. I think they, they could have played it. I wanted them to be more expert, I guess, was my big thing. Like, I wish they were smarter. You still could have had stuff happen and surprise them. But like, seriously, dude, the dude's going to go in and take pictures of the secret, <laughs> flash pictures at night of the secret scroll room and, you know and just you know stuff that was like that. terrible that was yeah that was like the number one thing i remember pissing me off in it I'm like oh that's how cheaty got to the bad place <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so there's a lot there um yeah sorry if, if anyone doesn't know uh Teresa, you know the the actor who plays one of these americans is the same actor who plays cheaty in the uh, tv show the the good place so that's what that's a reference to um i actually had not seen the wicker man before watching midsummer and so i think i actually liked midsummer a lot more not having seen the wicker man because no, like, that oh, totally this, makes sense this is like really i've never you know i've never seen a horror movie that's so you know everything's it's like bright sunshine and beautiful uh mm. it's in this beautiful scenic valley and everybody's pretty and friendly and smiling and being uh, accommodating and everything and just to have a horror story set in that kind of environment, I just thought was really interesting and different. Uh, and then, yeah, after I, I went and watched Wicker Man, I was kind of like, oh, it's kind of like the Wicker Man. Um, well, that's the thing, though. I think, like, I, I think your reaction to it's exactly right. You know what I mean? Like, it is a really un interesting thing. Yeah. But I guarantee you, Ari Aster's seen the Wicker Man. And, like, I just don't understand the impulse of spending this chunk of your life making something that's been made before. That just confuses me. Uh, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I know I would be hypocritical to say like, you can't like remake or, you know, put a twist on something, you know, he, you know, I wrote a head full of ghosts, which <laughs> more than riffs on, on the exorcist, you know, so, but what I was looking for was something that would, you know, would twist the wicker man. I mean, 
Like, right. like Teresa said, I mean, it is visually stunning movie. I was totally with it. And I actually, my favorite parts of the movie were those first maybe half hour of scenes where after the deaths of the parents and like the friends, the boyfriend and her were having dinner. It was really like deliciously uncomfortable. Um, and then I, I feel like it just, you know, went off the rails totally. So like that I was into. And then I feel like once they got to Sweden, it was just like, I don't know, by the numbers, people just doing not smart, you know, people that I thought were supposed to be smart doing not smart things. Like even as something as simple as, um, uh, the actor who, who was cheaty playing, I'm terrible with character names. I should have uh, had it Josh. there. Yeah. So, you know, when, when they say the name of the suicide ritual, when the cult members say it, he recognizes the name of that and like, but he doesn't tell the others. I mean, I think that would have been, I think that was a moment of potential to be like to him to, you know, for them to talk about it. I know it's sort of like shocking to them, but that's when it rang false was like, he didn't tell them what was coming. And then when it happens (laughs) is essentially aside from the British couple, like a group shrug, you know, the, the, you know, the sad boyfriend and girlfriend are, are still just too busy sort of, what was me as the boyfriend? And, you know, obviously I understand, um, you know, Danny, you know, has had this loss, but I don't know. It just seemed like there was no reaction to you know, the death of those people. Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to rehash a comment that we I, talked about before, but I, I want to get Teresa back in here. Teresa, do you want to uh, defend uh, Midsummer in any way? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I could understand. Um, yeah. If you haven't seen the wicker man, you know, this might all seem very new in a way. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. Like, Ari Aster definitely saw The Wicker Man, The Blood on Satan's Claws, Witchfinder General, like, all that stuff. Uh, but I think it's kind of like an empty resonance after the end of this movie because it's like Wicker Man want to be with a Reddit conspiracy theorist sensibility because <laughs> they are still talking about everything in this movie on Reddit, there's, you know, I'm in the, uh, I'm in that community there and just kind of keep an eye on it. And they're still talking about Danny and like little visual tricks and what it could possibly mean. And I think, you know, that's where he wanted it to play. And that's kind of it. And it is ultimately a bit empty because yeah, what is he really saying about grief? What is he saying about breakups? You know, in the moment when I first saw it and first left the theater, I felt kind of similar to how I did at the end of The Witch, where it was like, oh, yes, girl, burn it all down. <laughs> you know, fuck yeah. Uh, but then you think about it for like a day and you're like, well, this didn't make sense. This didn't make sense. This was stupid. Um, you know, they tell it, they telegraphed a lot of it, but it's, you think about certain scenes and again, I think it's like an emotional resonance that makes people want to go back and kind of examine some stuff, especially that like tinfoil hat Reddit community. One thing that I saw about the end of the movie, you know, so yeah. So at the end, the, the girlfriend basically sacrifices her shitty boyfriend to the cult. And one thing I saw was that apparently there's a, like a three hour version of this that, um, that Ari Aster is working on that he's planning to release that apparently and Paul makes... is going to be first in line for <laughs> tickets. <laughs> but that, 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 you know, that apparently adds a lot more material in that makes that turn at the end seem more justified or, um, you know, at least built, built up to it more. Yeah. They or, add or about maybe, 20... yeah. I'm sorry. What? No, I was just saying maybe even more active. Like, I mean, like you never actually, I mean, from my memory, I could be wrong, but I feel like I don't even remember her like, 
actually like pointing at him. Like you never actually see her active choice. It's like they say we're going to choose from these people and like the camera's on her and then they cut to, you know, the, you know, the hut or whatever the hell it is that they're going to burn and he's in there. So it's not even like, like I felt like you never got to see her make the choice. You see her sort of walking around in the flowers, like in a daze, you get her smile but like but it's, it's clear that she had chosen him to me. I don't remember exactly the visual. Oh no, I, yeah, I don't I mean, think it's not clear. But I don't know. It just made it seem like less active. Like I don't know. Like I wanted to see her like actually point or say something or or totally be into it. I mean, for most of the time, she just looked like she was like blank. You know what I mean? Like as opposed to all right, this is what I'm doing and going for it. I don't know. Like I said, well, I, by that by that point, I was just you know <laughs> not happy anyway. So, and like I said, I know I'm in the vast minority. It of sounds this, like so you're still just, you're still not happy. <laughs> no, no. Have some mushroom tea. <laughs> I, I saw this in the theater on opening night, actually, with my sister, who was also the one to pull out <laughs> um, her her vape pen before we walked into the theater. Uh, thank you for that, my sister. <laughs> and the audience was so vocal during this movie. It was, it was really fun. Um, like a communal experience of mm. uncomfortable laughter, screams. And then at the end, when, you know, they tell Danny, like, you have to pick, they didn't show her choice, but like everyone around us in the theater was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and so that just sticks in my head is this moment where everyone's like, Oh, yes. That's it. We know who she's picking. But I, I, I mean, I basically agree with Paul that yeah, that the movie really sort of lost me. So, so what happens is the the, the they go to the the Americans go to this um, commune, and it turns out that once you reach a certain age, you're supposed to sacrifice yourself, and then they watch this happen. And um, I think that the movie would have been so much better for me if that scene just did not happen in the movie at all. And then people just started disappearing and, and everything. But there was no, no no sort of overt sign of danger because I think that what's and, – and um this is sort of similar to me to another cult movie like The Invitation, which, you know, it's that same – and I talked about this in our other panel where we, we talked about that. But that what makes this sort of story powerful to me is this this – you know, sensation that something's wrong here, but everyone's being so friendly. Am I going to be the one who causes a commotion and starts, you know, making a fuss and accusing people and crossing this this boundary where we can never go back to whenever everyone's being nice or, you know, playing nice? And and just like the, the social pressure that, that can be exerted on you in a situation like that. So I think that, you know, if they had nothing, you know, nothing overtly threatening happened until the beginning of act three rather than the beginning of act two it seems like that's what the movie should be to me um so i don't know grady do you have any uh, opinions on that no i mean the only thing i was going to say is one of the problems i had i mean i liked hereditary a lot but i had the same problem with hereditary i, I had with midsummer which is like i always feel like a really good horror movie you kind of after it ends you know what's going to happen next and I feel like in both these movies, like, well, dude, I want to see the next morning. Like, does she just wake up super hungover and is like, oh, man, I feel so rotten. I really just want to drink water and sit in the sun. Oh, something smells like bear. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, does she have to join the cult now? Is she going to go home? Are they going to kill her? And it's the same as Hereditary. Like, well, like, what now? Is he's like a demon? What? Are they just going to get a lot of gold and like roll around in it like Scrooge <laughs> well, McDuck? Or are they seems, all going to be walk around naked? Or it seems is it the end of the world? Clear to me that she's going to join the cult. Like they're certainly not going to let her go home, and I don't think they're going to kill her. So I, I, I was just it, 
It seems yeah, not that to year. Me that she was going to join the cult. That's going to yeah. be stressful, though. Like oh, yeah. for everyone, <laughs> like she's not going to want to keep it secret. She's not going to want to hang. Like you know, like, I think she's she not will, a terrible though. person. Why? Just to escape her crime? Uh, well, no, I think just to escape her life. Um, I mm. and I think that's okay, what I, I find. That. I think that's what I find interesting about people who join cults in general and kind of watching it from this perspective with, yeah, you know, talking about what Paul said about reactions to grief, you know, this was such a horrific trauma at the start of the movie and it's histrionic mm-hmm. and it's very broke. But after those beginning 15 minutes, I kind of had her sympathy. And I think, you know, the movie primes you for that the whole way. It's, is it telling you something unexpected? No, like I thought from the very beginning, she's going to join this cult. And this is the story of why this woman in particular joins this cult. And I think right. that like the mural in the very beginning of the movie, it's a beautiful mural. Like the painting is gorgeous. And the first quarter of it is Danny falling through an empty space with these umbilical cords being cut off. And it's her sister and her parents on it. and there's like a skeleton, like death cutting them off. So it's just like, all right, she has no family. She starts off with no family, but at the end, you know, she has cut all her other ties to her, her old life. She can't go back to what she used to be. She didn't fit in it. So now she's found this new life in Harga, but what makes it sad. Well, a new family. Yeah, a new family in Harga, but they're exploiting her too because she can't go back to anywhere else because she did participate in murders. They know that they're not going to let her leave. And that's kind of an extra sad on it. Now, is it interesting? Is it just nihilistic? Is it just, yeah, shitty things happen, sucks, and move on and go on to Reddit and that's it? But I think that's what kind of fascinated me about the movie like you could i felt but i think totally see i think you're right i was just gonna say that like yeah i mean that is the appeal of cults right isn't every cult movie about starting over like you're just done you want a fresh start which is which is appealing you're right well and there's there's a really interesting juxtaposition between the beginning and the end where you know uh, at the beginning where she loses her family she's sobbing and her boyfriend is just sort of sitting there not God. involved, you know, and then at the end, you know, she's sobbing and the whole cult is like sobbing with her and they're all sharing her pain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, the arc of her story is definitely that she, you know, joins the cult. And, um, you know, I think that that sort of gets lost amidst all the horror, you know, but I, I think that's definitely that, you know, that that's the arc that she, you know, finds people who do care about her in a sort of perverse way, in a way that her boyfriends didn't. They share her, her feelings. It's in communal empathy, which I thought was interesting and made sense for being attractive for a host of reasons. But that's also, so using hereditary in midsummer, um, right? Like what's the difference between a cult and like just a boutique religion? Like, like Hereditary and Midsummer are both about groups that have their own belief systems and their own things. But like 
they're both they're not the same like one of them hereditary they're part of the world and they interact and people have their daily life and then their their secret religious life and in midsummer the religious life is you're isolated from the world so which one's a cult movie or is it just different kinds of cults or no, a religious I, film right no i mean i think that's that's the i I think that's the core of the question, but also like I think why there's the appeal of, you know, watching a movie about a cult or even like, you know, a documentary about a cult. Because I mean, I think, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's, for me, there's a fear and an appeal to the idea of, you know, you know, loosening yourself from the burden responsibility of choice, right? In consequence. Right. I mean, when you're loosening yourself from the responsibility of choice, you don't have consequence anymore. So, I mean, at first blush, that, that sounds like almost like blissful, right? <laughs> but the problem is, you know, as Grady was saying, if you're going to be part of society, that's the compact. The compact of society, if you're going to participate in it, is that, you know, you are responsible and there is consequence. Um, yeah. So where does religion and occult sort of end, you know, without me getting to talking about my own personal beliefs? Um, you know, where's that line of choice where it's service to their God or greater good? You know, where's that line? And the cult completely erases the line and severs the compact. You know, I, I certainly would not argue that all religions do that, but cults yeah. certainly do. Um, and I think well, what, that you used know, to be- sure. Ahead, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say what, what, you know, for me, those horror stories, what they do is, you know, the, what I find that when they work, when they're interesting, I find them, you know, probing for the location of that line, like where you find it and maybe pushing that line into an uncomfortable spot where you could maybe even like see, that happening. Right. Um, so it's almost like within a cult movie, I, I need the plausibility go up to the line of almost supernatural or, uh, or at least the promise of some sort of apotheosis. Um, you know, if I'm talking fiction, obviously like if I'm watching a documentary about a real cult, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever happened, happened, they don't need to serve my, my fictional wants. Well, let me talk about just because I watched a whole bunch of movies for this and I was sort of uh, categorizing them a little bit. And what you were saying about um, plausibility sort of made me think of that. So, yeah, the, the ones we've been talking about, Midsummer and The Wicker Man, I have in my pagan category where they're, you know, they're worshiping some sort of like nature or something like that. Um, you've also got your satanic cults, which uh, there are a lot of examples of that that we might <laughs> talk about. Uh, I also have a third category of sort of monster slash cosmic cults where they're worshiping some other world, you know, some, some weird monster or some, uh, you know, cosmic monster or something. So I've got like the void, the endless, the ritual and children of the corn. But then what you were saying, there's also like ones that are just clearly inspired by the Manson family. Um, and that kind of cult. So, you know, where they, they worship the, or they're, everyone's obsessed with the leader who's very right. charismatic and he gets them to murder people and stuff like that. Um, and so, I mean, there's a little bit of obviously overlap there, but, um, those are the kind of the four that most things seem to follow into pretty clearly. Um, Well, yeah. And I was going to say really quickly, I find that it's interesting, like the supernatural cults you're talking about, like the void and stuff like that, like having the supernatural in a cult movie almost ruins the concept because like the the whole point of a cult is you're supposed to have faith if we live a certain way if we make these certain sacrifices if we kill these families if we destroy these outside if you sever your ties to your old life we'll get this thing we'll get revelation or apocalypse or or divine gifts um but if it's just like there's some slithery tentacles there and you see them a lot and like all that you're like oh okay cool it's already here i don't have to do anything really (laughs) 
Uh, Teresa, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I tend towards liking the more true crime aspects of cults because it really happened. And it's fascinating because cults could be so different, but have a lot of similarities uh, between them. And I think what makes a cult movie with supernatural elements work for me is that human real life aspect more than the tentacles. Like what I thought was really interesting about the endless and what stuck with me wasn't any of the weird Lovecraftian time loop stuff. It was the brother who was trying to find his footing in life again after he left the cult. And what happens to you when your belief system is shaken like that. Um, And it's something that I've, really enjoy watching in a movie like a uh, really long title here. I'm trying to remember it. Martha, <laughs> oh, Marcy, yes. May, Marlene. Uh, yeah, I cannot yeah. say that one four times fast, but that's, <laughs> you know, it's a independent movie about uh, Elizabeth Olsen's first. So before she was Scarlet Witch, she was Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, this young woman who had gone upstate to this hippie commune farm and, got involved with this charismatic cult leader played by John Hawks, who's always fantastic. And it's about the paranoia and abandonment she feels. And after she leaves the cult and that's what, you know, elements like that work with me a lot more uh, than the weird bells and whistles of, you know, creepy creatures in the woods, Lovecraft, tentacle monsters, Satan, you know, it's that human element that, that draws me in. And that's why, you know, I listen to so many true crime podcasts and, and watch movies more like that. And a movie like that will hit me more, you know, or, or a movie like Mandy even will, will stick with me more than, you know, weird supernatural element stuff. Well, there's a lot of weird supernatural elements in Mandy, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess depending on the perspective you're taking. I mean, it's mostly just Teresa leads a leads. <laughs> Teresa leads an amazing life that we can't even I begin do. to comprehend. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, everything that's there, it's really just bad acid. So it's not so different from Midsommar at all. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, Mandy, they don't, they summon the bikers are like demons that they summon with magic. Well, that's what they say, but, Later on in the movie, it's just intimated by the weird acid maker guy that they just took a bunch of acid and became like BDSM torture freaks. They're not really supposed to be supernatural. I think the cult just believes that they are. Hmm. Oh, that all... actually makes the movie a lot more interesting to me. I hadn't really thought yeah. about that, but you're right. I, 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 I 100% agree with what um, Teresa just said in particular to the endless and uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, uh, it, the latter, that movie is just, uh, that's one of my favorites. If, you know, if I'm going to talk about favorite cult movies, just like the, the feel of that movie, the vibe. Um, I don't know. As a, as a writer and a reader and a viewer, I, I t- you know, I do love my supernatural, but I also, I think I'm more drawn to horror when it can be grounded in realism. And, and, and even though the endless gets pretty trippy, you know, as Teresa said, the, the relationship between the brothers and, and the one, who's like re- trying to rebuild his life in particular, you know, I, I just found, you know, super fascinating. Um, and then sort of like maybe a tick away from those, but one of my favorite movies, you know, uh, cult movies would be kill list. Um, 
in 2010. It's like, it feels like, or 2012, you know, it feels yeah. like we haven't had a Laird Baron. Oh no, that's not true. We had a Laird Baron movie a couple of years ago, but uh, for anyone who's read Laird Baron to me, kill list felt like someone made a movie that feels like one of Laird's stories. Uh, Cause it starts off as almost like this, not even almost, it starts off as this crime, like hitman thriller. And then there's weird things happening in the periphery, weird symbols cropping up. And then, you know, the last act of the movie, it, it, it goes into folk horror cult stuff. And I don't know, my favorite part of that was there was no explanation behind the cult necessarily. You don't know why they're doing what they're doing, um, which honestly for me is fine. I would almost rather it that way because that, that builds into my fear of other people, like what they're capable of uh, and how often what other people capable are, or what other people are capable of when they're together as a group, as a mob or as a cult. There is no reason. They become reasonless. Um you know, and too often when I do get the explanation, like, oh, really? That, like, why would you, why would you do that if that's like the ultimate goal? You know, I, so I, I sort of liked the aspect of that movie because, you know, if I don't really think there are any supernatural things happening in Kill List, um, you know, but there's, you know, these hints at this bigger, sort of wider, you know, scarier world. Yeah, you know, I just rewatched Kill List last week, and I was just stunned at how good it is. It's, you know, because I remember liking the problem is uh, the first time I watched it, I tried to watch it without subtitles. <laughs> Same. And talking about <laughs> mysterious, like I can't understand yeah. anything the two main characters say. They have very heavy accent. You know, I think one guy is and very mumbly too. Um, yeah, and um, so definitely, I would recommend watching it with subtitles. The only, uh, but I, I think it's spectacular the only thing is like both times i watched it i thought that the ending is like a little bit too abrupt um mm. but that's really the only other otherwise um i think that it's just a magnificent movie well, well go watch you know, martha marcy may marlene <laughs> but there's it's something the really interesting about kill list because it's it's descended from a whole separate genealogy of cult movies you know like like these movies that are sort of about these cults that want worldly power. Cause, cause right. The kill list one, they're like, we don't know what they want, but they're sort of like right. decadent yep. aristocrats. And uh, yeah. And it's like, and that's sort of that witch cult thing, right? Like these people want power and it's a secret force behind the world, like a conspiracy that's, that's running things and pulling the strings. And, and um, it, it's like, you know, this, this thing of, um, you know, Oh, it's the secret power behind the wall. It's the pizza gators <laughs> or it's the right. 1% or it's the new world order or it's Satanist or it's Catholics or it's Jews or, you know, and that goes all the way back to that witch cult stuff in the 15th and 16th centuries. Like, you know, they're these people with this extra power that gives them a leg up and the bad things that happen to you are their fault and the, and benefit them. Um, and that's really different from like Midsummer or Mary Marcy may, may the four M movie, um, where, where they just sort of want to do their thing, right? They're not, they're not part of this bigger consp- There's not the conspiracy theory element. Like the Rosemary's right. baby has it, but Wicker Man doesn't. It's funny you say that Grady. Cause you know, I went back and listened to our panel that we did a year a few years ago on um demonic possession and you were saying oh, yeah. that you were saying that like well these satan worshipers if they're living out in the woods you know why are they like what did they get for making a deal with satan really it should be the one percent and bill gates and mark right. zuckerberg and then you know i watched your movie satanic panic which is that's basically <laughs> the premise of the movie so yeah. uh, i was just wondering like how much credit does geeks guide to the galaxy get <laughs> for and oh yeah well movie? you know i mean totally i mean like we sent you a check right you got that because someone cashed it <laughs> no but i do think you know the well where satanic panic comes from is 
I would, I went through this phase years ago where I was like, I got to get my life together. And so I started trying to listen to all these podcasts, you know, that were like, you know, like Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week and all these like inspirational podcasts about how to get your shit together and be successful. And they're so culty, man. The language is crazy. Like, turn yourself into a high-value person where your social net worth, like, you know, dominate the room. And, like, everyone's got these crazy things that they take for granted. So they'll be, like, having an interview with, like, you know, Bob Iger of Disney or something. And they'll be, you know, okay, so... um. You know, so when did you go uh, vegan or when did you go keto? And they're like, you know, when did you like, you know, what's your workout? What time do you get? When do you micro nap? And it's like, and he's like, oh, I might like they all do these like really culty things they take for granted. Like they wake up at four in the morning. They don't eat meat. They only eat all meat. Like they just have these weird. It's just this very weird language they share and this very weird. And it's all focused on maximum achievement maximize yourself and that's like that's fucking satanism that's like anton levey 70s uh church of satan temple of set stuff you know don't let anyone get in your way like mac be the most you you can be and if someone says you know that's illegal well that person's wrong so break into their house and eat their heart like it's great well i mean it's all about like sorry it's i would say it's all about like taking advantage of just about everyone's innate want or need to be a part of a group Right. You have to be a part of this group. And yeah. you know, I'm not going to call Hollywood a cult. Not yet anyway. But like, it's even just fascinating to see like the shared language that like grows out of like, obviously this tightly knit set of people. Yeah. Like, I don't know a ton about Hollywood, but just in the last, you know, few months, it's been hilarious to me to, to hear all these different people independent of each other talk about like screenplays and use the phrase, uh, where's the ticking clock? Like, what, what does that mean? But it's like it's in all yeah. these different people's mouths, and it's, you can sort of almost just see like this group think pop up. Yeah, you know, with cults, there's also a thing about power too, right? The leaders of the cult. There's, you know, we haven't really talked about the power dynamic of it um, as well. Like, you know, there's that's how they take advantage of people. I mean, but, you know, to- Hollywood is a – I was just going to say just to, <laughs> really quickly. Hollywood is a supernatural <laughs> cult though because there's a magic invisible force, money mm. behind everything. You know what I mean? It's all about accreting and moving and relocating and redistributing this invisible thing. I, I also – I couldn't help notice, Grady, that in this panel you talked about how, you know, the powerful people in the world must be Satan worshippers because that's what they get out of it. And then ever since then you've had all this success in Hollywood. <laughs> And I'm not saying – I'm just saying that I would, that's just a little um, pattern I noticed there. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you. I mean, honestly, yeah, the first time you kill and eat a baby is really, really <laughs> hard. But then like you're feeling really down afterwards. It's like Blue Monday right after you do ecstasy or something. And then like all of a sudden stuff starts turning around. And it, I mean you're like, shit, get me triplets. So yeah, I mean first one's hard. That's all I'm going to say. I want to get Teresa back in here. Teresa, do you have anything you want to yeah. add here? About well, <laughs> now I'm really, yeah, now I'm really scared of Gwyneth Paltrow and her <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to uh, see some more of this stuff from a female perspective uh, because females, um, you know, women just in general, it they're, they're so much at the heart of a lot of cult movies as well. It's always the charismatic leader. But what about some of the followers? And so often it's the power dynamic being exploited between a powerful man and women. You know, it's really 
you know, the other invisible commodity with a lot of these cults is the power of sex. And that's always really interesting to me. Um, you don't see a lot of female cult leaders. And what why is think, that? What did you think, actually, Teresa, in the um, remake of Wicker Man, they changed it from like Lord Summer Isle to Lady Summer Isle, and it became this like, sort of explicitly matriarchal cult. I don't know if you, if you remember. Um, I mean, I mostly remember Nicolas Cage and the bees, <laughs> but... <laughs> Not the bees! <laughs> oh God, not the bees. Um, well, let, let me just say but, then. But, so in the in the original, it's Christopher Lee runs this private island, right? And in the remake, it's it's a, a woman, and they've sort of like lobotomized all the men, and so like it's it's like women are running the whole the whole shebang. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of what kind of makes the remake a little more jokey. Is you know, haha, it's funny. Like women are in charge, and men are basically without any power but it's just everything about that movie feels so <sighs> Nicolas Cage is a very hard actor to kind of pigeonhole because he plays it very deliberate but I don't know if his intention is always coming across the right way because it seems like everything in the Wicker Man is a giant joke um just like it did in the second half of Mandy just like it did in the recent movie Color Out of Space he he's so distracting it's hard for me to think about too much of what else the movie is saying <laughs> as more of a, a vehicle for Nicolas Cage to Nicolas Cage all over it um, <laughs> you wonder if the Wicker know, Man remake if they were in on the joke or they thought they were making a serious movie I mean that's what my question kind of always is with the Nicolas Cage movie like you know what you're going to get and yet you don't. And that's why they're always such delightful surprises. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I think about women in cults, you know, I always think of, well, now I think of, you know, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, definitely. But I think of uh, a novel, actually, uh, Emma Klein's The Girls, which was 2017, I think, 2017, 2016, winner of the Shirley Jackson Award. And it was basically a retelling of the Manson crime from the perspective of a Linda Kasabian type character who had survived beyond the cult and escaped it and didn't get jail time, but was still living with this world of regret and what it meant for her to be in this cult and under the sway of a powerful leader. Um, and that's just something I'd like to see more in cult movies, which you know, I guess doesn't quite answer your question about how it relates to the Wicker Man, but just something when I when I watch a cult movie, um, I think about the women and you know the other people who fall sway to these charismatic leaders. Some who are more charismatic than others. Well, you you mentioned a couple of movies that I there was there were a bunch of these movies that you know appeared on lists of cult movies and things that were not easy to find that I so I didn't end mm -hmm. up watching them. You mentioned like Witchfinder General and Blood on Satan's Claws, I think, uh Race with yeah. the Devil and um Devil Rides Out were some other ones. Um is there anything worth mentioning? Like as I said I wasn't able to track them down, but it, would yeah. it be worth tracking them down? Oh yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, I think so. And it you know, they're definitely more in that like yeah, if you liked Midsommar, definitely check out uh, Blood on Satan's Claws. Uh, very similar vibe. That's another one of the influences. Um, 
Yeah, I, you know, and they're very old and kind of technicolor, really, you know, visually beautiful as well in a different way. I think another one of the the movies that was, it seemed harder to find, but I think I just found it is streaming on Amazon Prime now is Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions. Uh, that's always a fun one to me because it is about a, a cult, like the after effects of a cult that's kind of disbanded and it's still haunting its victims and members um, years after the leader has supposedly died, which I thought was fun. And it's Clive Barker. So it's, you know, creepy and kind of over the top. And it's very, very 90s because it's Scott Bakula as the star. <laughs> Does anyone have any idea why it's so hard to find these? Like, I've never had so much trouble finding movies for one of these panels. I, I can only attribute it to cult activity. <laughs> trying to keep yeah, you have to be in the know. Yeah. Well, it's, you have to know someone. Right. Actually, I mean, uh, when I watched, um, you know, Blood on uh, Satan's Claw, you know, I, I, had, I tracked down like a cheap DVD. It might even been like a, you know, region free just, you know, to get it. So, uh, and then race with the devil for a glorious time was on shutter. I, I guess it's not on. Um, yeah. and that was a movie that, you know, for me, it's, you know, totally like personal subjective sway because when I was a kid, they would play that on, on network television in the afternoons, you know, and I would watch that and it's Warren Oates and, um, you know, Peter Fonda, Loretta Swit. <laughs> In an RV being chased by, <laughs> by, by, uh, you know, Satanists. So it's, you know, it's certainly sort of a bit of a silly movie, but, uh, the end of it actually is still, I, I find it, you know, mainly because it scared the crap out of me as a kid, like the very end of the movie. You know, there is like a quality to the relentlessness of the cult, you know, especially for, you know, if that's what you're looking for, like, you know, oh my God, there's, you, you find out there's this cult and like whatever town you go into, there's more and there's more. Um, you know, so it sort of plays that sort of paranoia you know, seventies vibe very well. Um, I do want to mention, like, since I, I sort of mentioned it earlier when I said kill this felt like a Laird Baron movie, we, we actually have had a Laird Baron movie, a Laird Baron movie. Uh, it's yes. called, uh, they remain. Uh, and that movie is about, it isn't. So these two, um, you know, these two people end up going out into these, into the upstate New York woods. And they're sort of studying this area where there was cult activity, where there was clearly, and there were murders so the, these two people weren't in the cult. They're there sort of uh, experimenting and trying to investigate um, the purported like there's weirdness happening there or any supernatural phenomena. They want to see like if the flora and fauna around are somehow reflecting like the, I don't know, negative psychic energy of what had happened with the cult. And you, you see some flashbacks of the, of the cult activity, but it's instead of like what the people are going through, it's about like what, you know, what's this place going through after like they had this cult there uh, it was just a sort of a, a different interesting take on sort of the aftermath of a cult instead of the people it's actually the place sounds like i should have watched that one how come that one uh, I, i'm sorry it's january and february my busiest and, brain dead months at school and it also starred william jackson harper who's That's right. cheaty on the good place and in midsummer it all comes so back to I, midsummer to no. <laughs> it all comes back to midsummer trying to keep it on brand but maybe he would be a good guest on geek's guide because he seems to have a you know a proclivity for the weird yes. in his films which i i kind of respect and he was much smarter in they remain than he was in midsummer yes well, and, you know, and Chidi is really into uh, moral philosophy, which is what I studied in college. So I don't know if the actor is into <laughs> it. I mean, he probably picked up, if, if he wasn't, he probably picked up a lot of it just uh, playing the character for, for the, for those years. So yeah, I think, yeah, <laughs> if, if, if you're listening, uh, you know, <laughs> sh shoot us an email, we'll get you on. 
Um, but speaking of these movies kind of from the 70s and stuff, did anyone see House of the Devil? It's yeah. this 2009 yes. movie, Love that but movie. it's made incredibly to look like it was made in 1980 or something. Uh, it's it's just eerie how, how, how much it looks like it was made in 1980. And it's got Tom Noonan yes. in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, did you, what did you think, Grady, overall of House of the Devil? I liked it. I mean, you know, it's one of those funny things. It's weird to look at that now because Ty West, the director, when he made House of the Devil, like it's really, I mean, there's some slow parts in that movie, but his faithfulness to recreating the era and the style of filmmaking and the style of storytelling and the set dressing. I mean, just everything is so dead on in that movie that it really, the the dedication on the budget he had really takes you can feel it you know there's some movies you can really feel that like whoever's making it really they'd be doing it for free if if they had no money and uh and so and then it's like yeah ty west man fuck yeah he's going places and then it's just sort of like you know his stuff after that didn't feels quite so to burn so hot for me um and then you wind up with his cult movie the sacrament which is this john goodman starring film that's really kind of loosely based on the Jonestown massacre. And I feel like, and it's just, it's so objectionable, like just to make a found footage movie about Jonestown and kind of like file off the serial numbers. It just, it feels a little dirty. Um, And it's like, I agree. like, Like, like with once upon a time in Hollywood, like whatever problems you may have with it. And I had some, but like, there's an existential joy in seeing Tex Watson get bitten in the balls, you know, like, like by, with a dog, like there's just like, there's this joy in sort of the rewriting and the engaging with the history with the sacrament. It's just like, Hey, I found this Wikipedia article about something really horrible that happened. And now I'm going to make a movie where the horrible thing happens. I don't know. Something about it really sat wrong with me and maybe it's me, but so, so it's hard to watch house of the devil now for me because it's like, I always, when I saw it for the first time, I thought it was leading to like these great places. And instead it's led to a movie that I really (laughs) just, just really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And I hate it. And it might just be me, but for me personally, it's tough. It's still a great movie. It's fantastic. Were you saying something? Teresa? Uh, Yeah, I I agree. I didn't like the, the sacrament to me. It felt again, like there's so many retellings of the Manson crimes that are just exploitative yeah. and gross and yeah, that, no, no, it's just totally not for me. Um, yeah, I'd much rather listen to a podcast like Heaven's Gate or, uh, there's a podcast that's just called Cults and it goes into the story of, of some of these crimes and the, the sorrow and the horror of something like that. Yeah, it's, nothing that feels good to watch in a movie like that. And it doesn't add anything new. It just feels exploitative. Hmm. Uh, Paul, is there anything you want um, to add? Yeah, I would add that I, I, I love the house of the devil. Um, and it's, I think it's fine. If it came out now, I don't know if it would, I mean, it would maybe seem a little more plain just because like there were so many, like in 2009, there wasn't just the glut of eighties nostalgia or making things look like they had taken yeah. place in the eighties. So I, I can understand yeah. someone watching it now and not being as into it just because in 2009, I was like, oh, my God, this looks like it was, you know, that was my first reaction, like Grady's. Um, 
I haven't seen the sacrament. I, I do enjoy Ty West. I thought his movie after House of Devil was quite good as well, called The Innkeepers. In I yeah, did like, and that's more of a ghost yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I'm like, you know, I, I haven't seen the sacrament, so I, I'm certainly not going to defend it. Um, but I don't know. Like, I mean, I I think you can make a movie. I'm not saying it's that one. I think you could make a movie about the Jonestown massacre. Um, that's not exploitative. You know, I, I obviously uh, it, oh, it'd be yeah, hard to absolutely. do. You know, what's the line there? Yeah. So honestly, oh, when, I yeah, when, when I heard like when I heard what the movie was about, like I never watched it because like, oh, you know, I guess I don't feel like watching that. I wanted more innkeeper. <laughs> wanted more innkeepers and more House of the Devil. Well, I think Eli Roth presents the sacrament was really a, like all I needed to yeah. know about the sacrament <laughs> before I even watched it because Eli Roth. I, yeah. I don't know what I was expecting otherwise. <laughs> Well, I mean, like Grady, it seems like there were some parallel, some similarities between Satanic Panic and House of the Devil. Is that uh, what do you what do you think about that? And is that like is there a whole like genre of like young woman shows up at house with Satanists that I uh, that I don't know about? Oh yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's Rosemary's Baby, right? Which is sort of like a foundational text for for horror these days. Um, and you know, it kind of ties into what Teresa was Teresa was saying, which is that. There is a thing with cults, especially real life cults, but in general where it is a hierarchical structure with a charismatic man at the top and, and sex and like not just like humpy humpy sex, but like sexual dynamics and sexual politics play a huge part in keeping people in line. So it is cool when people do stuff like Midsummer or The Wicker Man or, you know, how, where, where they try or House of the Devil, where they try to sort of upend that some Um or even the 4M movie, Marcy, Mary, Madeline, you know, <laughs> looking more from the woman's point of view of what this experience is like. Cause it is, it's really fascinating to be like, okay, you know, what, what, what makes someone want to get rid of their old life, just rub it out and start fresh with a new name and a new belief system and new friends and a new place. And, and is that even possible, you know, or, or is your old life always going to drag you back? One of my favorite parts of Mandy was the first time Mandy meets Jeremiah Sand, the cult leader, and he gives her this whole long speech and he's, you know, in this shitty living room surrounded by his other user followers and he takes his robe off and he's naked and he's like, you're special, Mandy, be special with me. And (laughs) And and he's playing his own band's record. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like the best part. It's like, listen to my shitty folk music, Mandy. You're a special one. And she just lets loose with this wicked, wicked laugh. And yeah, I I love the energy of that moment. But you also know exactly what's going to happen to her after she laughs at him in his naked, literal and figurative, like naked vulnerability there you know, look at me, look at my trip. I'm so great. And she laughs at him and you know, what's going to happen next, but that's one of my favorite moments in that whole movie. Well, you, you know, know, that's like just um, seeing that, that dynamic is, subverted. Isn't that that Margaret Atwood quote? I think it's her, like men yeah. are scared yes. that women will laugh at them. Women are scared. Men will kill them. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. a cult yes. in a nutshell. Yeah. That's exactly what that moment was, you know, So I was going to ask Grady, so uh, since you said that you prefer cult movies without supernatural stuff in them, how come you put supernatural <laughs> stuff in Satanic Panic? Oh, well, because it had to be. I mean, they, that's 
that was that was the mandated by the movie and also like i don't want to make a movie about satanists which don't that don't have superpowers you know what i mean like i want to if it's a movie about satanists i want to see satan you know i just what's the fun otherwise <laughs> save it save it for the people with talent like you know who made the wicker man and stuff you know peter schaefer and things for for the movies without supernatural stuff <laughs> See, Paul, have you ever written? Have you written any cult stuff? I think you said one of your books had some cult. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think the Cabinet of the, End of the Worlds. I mean, the four the four people yeah. who show up. I mean, that's part of yeah. the question: Are these four people are they a part of a cult, or you know, or are they actually there <laughs> uh, at some you know at the bidding of some supernatural power? Um, you know, so I mean, since there's only four of them, you know, you don't get sort of like the whole like cult dynamic, and you know, part of what I tried to twist that around with was you know, have it sort of let out in the book that, you know, they claim that they, you know, well, they had only met each other online and this was like, you know, the first time they were together in person, you know, so a lot of it was trying to play the balance of, okay, are they, are they like crazy cultists or are, you know, is something supernatural happening? So I definitely view that as sort of like one of my longer cult works. And I, I wrote an early short story that I turned into a, a novella called the Harlequin in the train. Um, that in the Harlequin in the Train was reprinted by Concord Free Press, which you can get the copy for free under the name. Um, oh my God. Oh my God. What's the name of the book? <laughs> uh, another way to fall. It's a, uh, it's the Harlequin in the Train and uh, a novella by Brian Evanson, who might be my favorite writer of cult stories. If we could talk about Brian, maybe. Oh God. Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway, the Harlequin in the Train, I guess I would just briefly describe as fight club for cannibals. <laughs> So there's a, a cannibal club in the periphery of, of what's happening. Or not even the periphery, I shouldn't say that. It's full-on cannibal club cult. Did you do any, like, research into cults or anything? No. To write cabinet? No. Uh, um, I take that back. I guess I, I did read a little I, – I focus more on the phenomena of TIs, targeted individuals they're sometimes referred to. And the, and the phenomenon oh, yeah. of how, like, mm. these people are finding each other online, you know, part of the idea of TIs or targeted individuals is that they think, obviously, you know, they have – uncontrollable paranoid thoughts, you know, that the joke is the tinfoil hatters. Um, so, but what's been happening in, for the past decade or so, you know, with the internet is, you know, they'll go, you know, these people who think that, you know, this is bugged, the government's out to get me, they're doing this, you know, when they go to their therapist, the therapist tell them, no, like, this is not real, you know, and as you could imagine, if that was you, it'd bum you out. And they find these online communities where, no, this is real, this is happening to me too. So, so many of these people are skewing professional mental health and just reinforcing, you know, their own beliefs online. Um, you know, there was a, one of, you know, one of the many mass shooters in, in our country within the last couple of years. And it happened on an army base, I believe. And he was a, you know, he, he, he was a quote unquote TI and was a part of some different online groups. So I, I read about that, you know, for, for cabin. Well, how about Teresa? I mean, you said that you're doing all this, uh, you're listening to all these podcasts about cults and everything. Has that uh, influenced your uh, writing at all? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I just, you know, I find them really fascinating. Again, it's that human element. Uh, one that I always recommend to people if they want something, uh, very emotional, uh, very raw is the Heaven's Gate podcast. It's about the Heaven's Gate cult. Those were the Haley Bop Comet people with the sneakers and the bowl cuts. Um, it was another mass suicide. And it's hosted by a man who grew up in a fundamental cult himself. Uh, he was one of his family was, uh, the only P 
people of color within their religious cult. It was some sect of Mormonism or something like that. It wasn't entirely clear. So he came at it with a perspective of what made these people join Heaven's Gate and interviewed some of their surviving family members and used uh, real recordings from the cult leaders. And I thought that painted a really human, very sad story, but very interesting and compelling. Um, so I always recommend that one to people. I recommend uh, there's one that's just called Cults, and it's about a different cult, usually every week. And then if you're interested in learning more about the Manson cult, a podcast called You Must Remember This, which is primarily about Hollywood history, spends a whole 12 episode season about the Beach Boys, uh, the Beatles, everything like that, um, and Manson's growing career and focuses an awful lot on the Manson girls as well. And that one was also really fascinating and really well researched. Um, yeah, and I, I just find them, I find cults in general really interesting. Uh, communal living, mass hallucination, and the power dynamics, you know. And I'm, like I said, I'm always looking for stories and interested in writing stories about women in these situations because so much of the focus is always on uh, the charismatic Charlie Manson types. So, so you've written a, you've written stories about this, or uh, I, I have, yeah. Well, I'm working on one right now, uh, but it's not published yet. But yeah, that's um, been an area I've been exploring a lot more. All right, cool. I mean, Grady, did you like? Were you like a cult investigator or something? Am I like imagining that? Or <laughs> no, you're imagining that. I worked for. Were a you not a paranormal? Were you a, were you a witch finder wow. general? <laughs> I uh yeah and you know it's funny like I always get it mixed up is the witch supposed to float or supposed to sink I can't ever remember <laughs> uh, no it was a parapsychological research lab so yeah not cults um but I was just gonna say really quickly uh just to echo what Teresa said the the season of you must remember this about the Manson family I avoided listening to it for a really long time I love that podcast I was like I don't want to hear more shit about the Manson family blah 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 I finally listened to it, and it's amazing. It's really, really great. There's one other uh, movie I watched that I want to mention before we run out of time here called The Ritual. And um, it's these uh, four, I think, British backpackers who go uh, – wait, where – I forget actually now. Like I think it's Sweden, it's, right? It's, it's Sweden too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the less sunny part of Sweden. Right. The less pas- the less pas- and- less pastels. <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of take a shortcut through the woods and end up being stalked by this kind of like moose demon monster and the cultists who worship it. And um I thought it was I mean I think the 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 biggest weakness of it is just that it was completely predictable. Like I knew exactly what was going to happen at every stage of the movie. But I thought that the um the four main characters um believed ver- uh behaved very believably. And so I guess it's sort of a contrast to um, Midsummer in that way with sort of a um, similar premise. Um, but just, you know, like the uh, the way that the characters in Midsummer behaved just didn't they didn't seem like real people in a, you know, an act in a believable way. And, and the ritual, I, I thought I, I really believed that those those guys were real people. And, you know, they, they acted uh, the way I thought people in that situation would behave with a sort of growing dread and, you know, total awareness of how uh, you know, of the of the danger that they're in. 
Yeah, I didn't see the movie. I read the book, and the book's the same way, where the the bigger supernatural story, I'm like, eh, whatever. But the character interaction stuff's great. Yes. I, I, w- uh, I enjoyed both the book and the movie, and um, what I really liked, I, I agree with what you said, David, about the characters. I thought their relationship was very interesting and realistic. Um, you know, I thought they were sort of nicely all flawed, not, not flawed to the point of being, you know, everyone's a jerk, but you know, just, you know, more realistic people. Uh, I did. I I thought the design of the monster was great. I thought there was a a proper sense of awe when it was sort of finally fully revealed, especially within sort of the cult town, you know, that the, the last one or two of the backpackers, you know, stumble upon. Uh, it's interesting how different it is in the book though. I don't know if you've read the book, David, but, uh, yeah. In the book, who was the book by? Uh, Adam Neville, uh, you know, wonderful British horror writer. Uh, and in the book, the, the, the big difference is the cult is these four black metal fans. <laughs> uh, no, it's not, not like this. It, no, that's not in the movie. No, it's so it's like an actual, it's a cult. It's like a weird sort of out of time almost, you know, and there's a lot of people. Um, and in the book, it's these four, <laughs> you know, these four death metal fans and i listened to the audiobook oh, and wow. the, the voices were great it was uh yeah so that part of the book is much different that part uh in the book you know sort of that part of the story is much a much different feel um because the, the the four death metal people are almost like borderline incompetent which almost yeah. makes the suffering of the main character even worse um you know what he has to go through um so i, I found it you know fascinating i thought both were successful like it was an interesting sort of juxtaposition uh, how you could have these two different things with a similar core story, but really be, uh, you know, fundamentally different in some, um, in some ways too. Is that part of a larger trend of uh, horror stories set in Sweden? Like people go to Sweden and bad things happen to them, or is it just those two movies? Hmm, well, I think there's a bigger trend of going to Europe, right? Cause then you can throw in the hostile movies and uh, the guys who did the endless, didn't they do a movie called summer or springtime or something oh, spring yeah yeah. Spring. Yeah, yes. yeah spring yeah yeah so yeah americans should not go to europe <laughs> <laughs> yeah they should just avoid any place really old you know and i guess that's why they have to go over there you know because america is too young for cults oh yeah but that's right. also a trope that's um in hong kong movies there's this huge trope of like hong kong people going in vacation to like the uncivilized parts of Southeast Asia, like, you know, Indonesia or like, you know, uh, Malaysia. <laughs> and they always get like a blood curse slapped on them or disturb a, a tribe somewhere and, and wind up having to eat worms or something. So it's really similar going on vacation. Everyone worries about going on vacation. It's very fraught. Hmm. Um, I just have this other thing in my notes here where uh, I had this like odd experience where I was hanging out with a friend from high school and somebody just mentioned offhandedly, like, oh, yeah, my mom used to be in a cult. And <laughs> I was like, really? You know? And then before I could really get any more details, everyone else in the room was like, oh, yeah, my mom was in a cult, too. And uh, I felt I felt like I was the only person. I felt kind of left out. Like, I was the only person there whose <laughs> mom was never in a cult. And you I should guess, have joined a cult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> for that sense of belonging, right? But, yeah, uh, so I don't know. It, it was just making me wonder if – uh people joining cults is a more common phenomenon than I uh, had hitherto uh, appreciated. I thought you were going to say it made you wonder if mo- your mom actually had joined the cult and you were just unaware <laughs> of, uh, of the cult mom. You should ask her. <laughs> yeah. 
So looking uh, more into like a Martha, Marcy May, Marlene led me down this rabbit hole of, you know, just clicking on different kinds of cults. And apparently there are a lot of cults surrounding farms, like these new like hipster commune farms, you know, people leave New York City and go upstate and they're going to work on a farm with some people and apparently that's really ripe well, that's, for yeah, cult that's activity. Yeah, um, with, yeah, north of New York City, so Yeah. Yeah, think about where your produce is coming from, I guess. And I guess it's maybe the intersection of where young idealists meet predatory hippies. Or it's like what Paul was saying earlier about like uh, the Laird Barron film that y'all were talking about, where it's the the landscape does it. Because upstate New York, like in the 19th century, had so <laughs> many religious movements sweep across it. It was called the Burned Over District because there were so many mm -hmm. like cults and movements and new churches coming out of there. So maybe it never changes. Mm. Now, now I'm thinking, geez, have, have there any been big movies? I'm sure there are, but all these cults are in like rural or... You know, certainly, maybe not urban areas. Like, where are the city cults? Where the, uh, uh, I think those are the ones run by urban Satan. Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that one. Well, see, I what feel like say, Satan's Teresa, for those uh, highfalutin city folk. You know, the elitist yeah, yeah. cultists. They get yeah, Satan Rosemary's Baby, right? Right. Power. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Th those rural folk get those different kinds of cults. There, there was the believers, I think, with Roy Roy Scheider, oh, Martin yeah. Sheen, one or the other. I can't remember, but it's like a voodoo cult or something in the city. Right. That's right. I remember that one. The bug coming out of the the yeah, yeah, yeah. the growth on the woman's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. So urban, it's like Satanism is in cities, and uh, paganism is in isolated places and and so are weird dudes like in jeans with no shirt who have like 16 women living in a yurt yeah so in monsters, <laughs> exactly. monster cults like like cthulhu cults that's also yeah well cause unless you're in um like innsmouth or something right i guess right right small well now i'm thinking grady like you're the satanic panic too the panicking <laughs> uh, sh uh, should be satan shows up at this like rural cult in the, in the sticks and he's like what the hell hates it we were we were gonna yeah. call it satanic panickier um, yeah <laughs> but i like the panicking uh but yeah no totally winds up in, well you know that's always the question about possession right like why does a dev why does satan want to possess like a 12 11 year old girl why not like the president um like satan would be so pissed off to possess or like to wind up with a cult in like rural oklahoma like jesus yeah. christ oh, you gotta write that <laughs> well where's the where's the where does hereditary take place is that a city or a suburb is that portland uh, i think that's more of a suburb i think but i, I felt it felt suburban to, uh, suburban to me yeah. suburban <laughs> suburban Paul Tremblay, professional writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like Grady will have lots of opportunities to write more movies because <laughs> weren't there like 10? I, I didn't read the article, but weren't there like 10 companies all fighting for you or something? You're like super popular. Now. Yeah, I don't know. It's am I? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, those things always. But he had to he had to burn his spleen on the <laughs> altar of. <laughs> Do you know uh, like, something in Hollywood? After a while, you've like killed and eaten so many babies you don't notice anymore but then you have to do a kitten <laughs> to really amp it up and that's uh, hard 
that is hard. Like, you look into their cute little eyes, it's tough. So I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that again. Well, you and Paul both have really big followings. Do you ever worry about culty people showing up at your book signings? Anything I that's show up kind at of Paul's like book signings. Skirted on weird. Does <laughs> Paul ever worry about Grady showing up at his book signings? Yeah, I remember Grady tweeting out about like murdering me before one of my New York City readings. <laughs> You're still, but I didn't. It was like a light stab. It was a light stab. That, I didn't murder you. It, it, I, there was like skin, uh, skin eating reference too, maybe. Yeah, you, you um, had to get like three stitches. It was no big deal. <laughs> to, I mean, sure. I mean, it's not like an active worry, but like if you let your head go there, I mean. For me, it's more been like I'm less afraid about like the you know I think this is more of a reflection of the time that we live in. I'm less I'm almost I'm less afraid of the in like the one on one interaction with people than I am internet re, uh, uh, interaction. You know, because I try to be somewhat accessible, and you know, there are times like oh man, maybe I should close my DMs here and there. You know, because I don't know, like you know, s- s- some odd messages come through, and you know, I. I usually ignore those, but like to me, that's the more like, oh God, I, I, I probably should take more of my life off the internet than than is out there already. Well, I, I swear I heard Daryl Schweitzer one time say that at Weird Tales they used to get letters periodically from people who claimed to be actual Cthulhu cultists. <laughs> you know, I, I had some weird Facebook messages. It wasn't a cultist, but in regard, you know, in reference to. Uh, a head full of ghosts, you know, someone was claiming that their niece was going through and like some of the stuff that they had said was, you know, I, I felt both sad, like if this has really happened, but happening, but also like really like, uh, I don't think this person is a healthy person to be talking to for me um, or a safe person, maybe I should say. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there ought to be a Geek's Guide to the Galaxy cult. I hope everyone listening, we need a, we need a well, newsletter cl- <laughs> or something. Oh, I mean, Grady's at what? You said 18 and Teresa's at 10. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you already cult. have a couple of, of yeah. Yeah, you're the like a level five. three. <laughs> it could be kind of like <laughs> Brian Evanson's Brotherhood of the Mutilation, which I, Paul had talked about Brian Evanson right. earlier. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite cult stories ever. Uh, Brotherhood of the Mutilation, also called Last Days. I think he likened it to novel. And, uh, yeah, it's an amputee cult, and you jo- you get invited to join it if you're someone who has voluntarily amputated yourself. So you're following along with a cop joining this cult, and of course, the higher up you go, the more pieces of yourself you get rid of. So you could imagine, like, the top tier is basically just a torso. <laughs> um, a wiggly torso. You know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, no ears, no nose, like... It's very extreme, uh, but it's really well written. And yeah, if anyone would probably have a cult following, I'd imagine it'd be Brian Evanson. Wait, I got distracted for a sec. Were you saying that for us in the Geek's Guide cult, we have to amputate parts of our body? Because, okay, sure, I guess. I mean... If we want to keep getting invited back. (laughs) I think that's Brian Evanson's cult that you have to do that. I I know that Brian actually, with one of his chapbooks, signed a few with his blood. Whoa. I mean, that, that was a while ago, um, oh and I don't God. know how many he signed. Yeah, I don't know how many he signed, <laughs> but a lot. But a lot of Brian's uh, short fiction too, you know, is references to cults, and you know, I don't want to speak for Brian necessarily, but um, he's he was uh, he was kicked out of the Mormon Church, 
or ex, you know, if, I don't say, I don't, I don't think they say excommunicated. Maybe they do. So, you know, within his cult stories, there's, you know, clearly some of the, I don't want to say the anxiety of Mormonism, um, that, that's sort of in there that I feel like that sort of grounds it, especially some of his early novels. I think his earliest novels, uh, you know, pre last days, um, are, are definitely a little bit more about sort of, you know, the experience that he went through, you know, cause he was, you know, he was teaching at the time and basically he got excommunicated for what he was writing. Um, or, or I shouldn't say excommunicated. That I think, I think, I think they do thing. say that. Kicked out. Do they? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, okay. I interviewed him, um, you know, two months ago or so. And, and so if, if anyone's curious, you can listen to that because we talked about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, Paul Tremblay is not calling Mormonism a cult. I, I am not calling it that. So like, but within Brian's stories, he sort of, you know, he, he takes that, you know, what can be a blurry line between religion and, and cults and, and makes it even blurrier, which I think makes it a little bit more, um, you know, fill, fills the stories with a little bit more anxiety because it makes it feel real. It also makes you question your own beliefs you know, and where that blurry line goes. So, yeah, so, so, so much of Brian's work. I think if, if, you know, people out there want to read about, you know, fictional treatments of cults, I think Brian's, you know, you can't go wrong with his stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've been focusing on, on movies, but I guess, are there any other um, writers that, that write about cults that are worth mentioning here? Um, You know, there's, I, I hate mentioning these books because they're really pervy, but they're really fascinating. <laughs> there was, there's a writer uh, from the 80s named Russ Martin um, who wrote all these like super satanic panic books. Like they really take the the idea that there's a secret satanic cult like running the world seriously. And um, the, the titles are like um, the, the Desecration of Susan Browning and The Education of Jennifer Parrish and The Obsession of Sally Yang or Wing or something. And like, they're all set in the same world and people cross over from book to book. And it's like the cult's big ability is to mind control people. So what it'll do is like, it'll make you addicted to like your master or your mistress. And like, they never quite have sex, but it's like a CEO of a company will then like be found in a French maid outfit, like scrubbing the floors with a toothbrush on some like woman's house. And like, I hate her. I hate her. She humiliates me. But like, if she's not around me every second of the day, I want to kill myself. And it's really, I, there's something about these books on their own. They're really weird, but taken as a group, there's like six of them. It's this really creepy ass world view of this, like this world where everything behind the scenes is a power game and like everyone just wants to humiliate other people. And like, it's really, and like you can't escape, like people will try to get out, but then they'll just like miss being in it so much. They'll go crawling back and it's, they're really weird. They're mostly out of print now, but like, I don't know. I feel weird. Dis I feel disreputable recommending <laughs> them. They really stuck with me. Like they're so creepy. All right, cool. so it's kind of like what you were saying about Brian Evison's Brotherhood of Mutilation. This idea of what people will do to themselves, you know, is so much worse than yeah. what other people will do to them, I think, for me. Mm. All right, cool. So we're pretty much out of time. So um, why don't we uh, start getting some final thoughts in here? So, uh, Teresa, any final thoughts on the subject of cults in horror? Um, just suddenly got a flash of Homer Simpson talking about leader beans. So I should maybe get that out of my head. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I think what makes cults so scary is the vulnerability they show in people and especially people who are deeply unsatisfied and seeking. And I think people can relate to that. So you're always wondering why, why would someone voluntarily join in Harga or the Brotherhood of the Mutilation or any other host, except for Satan. I mean, I think he's a special case. Uh, but yeah, I think what makes it scary is what makes them so plausible. And I just really enjoy looking at where they intersect. Uh, Paul, final thoughts on cults and horror? Yeah, I mean, uh, everything Teresa said, plus, I mean, I think um, it's, I'm always disturbed by the idea that these otherwise reasonable people who aren't, you know, necessarily, you know, uh, descending into mental illness or succumbing to mental illness, you know, they're these people who have their faculties, but for whatever, you know, reason, whether, you know, they're emotionally broken or damaged in some way, you know, that they, they search out these groups. Um, and even the idea of like a cult coming to get you as silly as it sounds like, you know, for that sort of more thrill aspect of the cult story. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've always felt like the slasher, you know, I, the slasher is one person <laughs> I could get away, get them, you know, I could get in my car, but you know, if you're trying to like, you know, deal with a cult, it's, you know, there's that paranoid aspect too, that, that, um, you know, that, that sticks with me when I watch cult movies. Yeah. Well, the, there's the scene in, um, Martha, Marcy, May Marlene, where it's this home invasion, you know, a, a cult involving right. a cult. And it's this very like understated, you know, low-key sort of situation and conversation and everything, but it's incredibly creepy. It's like more creepy than your typical slasher situation because it's so, you know, it feels so real and it's so understated. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I'll say, I mean, you know, oftentimes for these panels, you know, I'll watch a lot of movies and, and usually a lot of them are not very good, but I pretty much, I think I pretty much enjoyed all these cult movies. So, um, you know, there's something... Either there's something about the concept that appeals to me, or they're just uh, you know brings out the best in a lot of these filmmakers. But uh, and so, and you're just, uh, or it just means you have to ask mom <laughs> about uh, <laughs> yeah, her yeah. cult activity. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's some hereditary uh, yeah, uh-huh. appeal there. But yeah, and especially yeah, like Martha, Martha, Martha Marcy May Marlene, and Kill List, like the Ritual. I said the original Wicker Man are just terrific. So yeah, um, definitely check those out. Um, but so Grady, uh, final thought. Yeah, no, just, um, you know, cult fiction and, and movies I think are great because they're always like critiques of like the one answer solution, right? Like a cult is a way where you're like, oh, this is the point of view that explains everything in the world. I don't need other points of view. And I just need to commit to this one more and be more devoted and more pure. And really, you know, f- this person is telling me the right information i need to shut down the other ones and i feel like that's only going to get more in the world now as people are moving more and more to voluntary communities and and you know there's all this fracturing and stuff and so i just want to say once again horror was there first suck at other genres (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and i also just want to say you know if there's anyone you know if anyone's listening to this and you think that you might be involved in a cult or someone you know definitely like leave that cult and join the geeks guides of the galaxy cult instead, because we need your money. more. <laughs> I than would do. definitely, I, I definitely endorse this cult. <laughs> Maybe the initiation could be 
watching as many Nicolas Cage movies in a <laughs> row as you could possibly stand. And that will like get you up can the we get, ladder. Can we get hooded robes or cloaks? Yeah, yeah. Cloaks. Sure, why not? <laughs> cloaks. <laughs> I think we're setting the precedent. We can make the rules. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. All right. Absolutely. All right, cool. So let's uh, wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Grady Hendricks, Teresa DeLucci, and Paul Tremblay. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thanks, man. Hail Satan. (laughs) One of us. (laughs) One of us. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Grady Hendricks, Teresa DeLucci, and Paul Tremblay for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I also want to thank Tina Fine for sponsoring today's show. Check out her highly unconventional superhero comic, Off Girl, over at offgirl.com. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.